Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Catholic Mysticism, where we talk about the beautiful uh, aspects of our faith that deal with the supernatural, that deal with the mystical, and with other topics wide-ranging in our beautiful, beautiful faith. And I hope you've had a great week and you're enjoying the show. Uh, today, we, I thought we would touch on something that uh, actually, when it came out, and it was in the year 2015, it was an encyclical uh, by the Pope, Pope Francis, called Laudato Si, uh, on care for our common home. And it was met with a lot of controversy. Uh, especially from the industrial nations and the wealthier nations. And there was all kinds of talk that the the Pope is a socialist. He's asking the wealthy to give up their uh, wealth and disperse and a a lot of stuff. And like a lot of things that happens now um, over uh, since our election of uh, Pope Francis, many things are taken that he says out of context. And when you actually read in entirety, the context of what uh, he speaks on, it has a de- different meaning than what uh, some of the media tries to spin. So that's an important part for us to remember. And I don't think, uh, I'm not going to get into any political ramifications when we talk about this uh, in one ideology over another, uh, because I want to avoid that. Uh, I think there's some common ground here when we're talking about the environment, uh, God's creatures and creation, which is mystical. Because as we get into some of the show tonight, and and we'll see that this is all part of mysticism, is God's creation. And what we do and what we don't do with it, and what God required of us. But that being said, the document, uh, the encyclical, was trying to bring an awareness to our culture, not just here in the United States, but everywhere on our common home, the earth, what God created. And it was, uh, again, well-received in some circles and not so well-received in other circles. But when we look at the environment today, and we're going to be right up to the speed here with the fires in Australia, which... that I knew there were some of the endangered species uh, were wiped out now in Australia. This obviously is going to change all its biodiversity uh, as well as, in general, their ecosystems. So this is going to take years uh, to see the full effect. And what when we talk of God's creation and... We talk about the mystical. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, and verse 15, God's command is to till and keep the Garden of Eden. Now, over centuries, mankind has used that and used it in a term that's more subordination. 
to subdue and dominate God's creatures in creation. But that's not really what God told Adam and Eve. See, we as human beings in our weakness because of original sin have taken that um, in a way out of context so we can use it to justify some of the things we do, not only to God's creation creatures, but to each other. And what God meant for Adam and Eve was to till and keep, which was to utilize and be good stewards of his creation, not to destroy, not to dominate, but to keep it for him, to take care of it, to protect it. And you see, this is one of the, the beautiful things. And again, I'm not going to get into whether uh, mankind is responsible for this or this is a natural cycle. You know, it, it's a very complex topic. Uh, as we, I'll spend a minute on this. Very complex. You, all kinds of different studies in, in science. Uh, some leaning toward uh, man is the dominant reason this has happened, some that it's a natural cycle, this has happened before. And I'm going to try to stay away from that on the show. Um, my personal opinion is that it's probably uh, combinations of both. Uh, I worked uh, for the Environmental Protect Department of Environmental Protection for many, 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 many years, and I've spent most of my life recreating in the outdoors. Um, so what I've, I've seen the changes myself in the environment, uh, loss of habitat, loss of biodiversity, you know, a uh, lot of things changing. Um, some, I believe, are a natural cycle. But uh, man uh, definitely has the biggest impact on creation, and so we've got to be part of that factor um, to me. I just try to approach this with a little common sense uh, from my experiences in, in creation and the environment and um you know, obviously, uh, mankind does impact the environment, but also in the past, there have been natural cycles that have changed um, our climate and in our environment. Um, okay, so that being said, um, when the Pope uh, published this encyclical in 2015, you know, obviously, as we go into 2020, it's five years, there's been a lot of changes. I just mentioned the um, uh, Australian fires uh, we saw through the volcanoes uh, at one time in Britain uh, the airports had to be shut down, shut down. there was uh, dark gray cloud people were having trouble breathing uh, you see that in China now where they have to wear uh, dust and nuisance masks um, a lot of, a lot of uh, problems and we'll touch on, on some of them um, we need to examine the encyclical for what it calls. Because in the mystery of God's creation, and you know, I'm not a, a proponent of the evolution theory. Uh, as a Catholic, you're, you can believe in that. That's fine. Um, or you don't have to believe in That's fine also. Um, I look at the fine-tuning. And again, I'm not a scientist. But I look at the fine-tuning of this universe. And I look at uh, some of the unbelievable uh, mysteries and wonders of creation that God created, the human eye, the brain. I look at the way the um, photosynthesis takes place, 
and the climate and the respiratory system and how trees aid in this and how carbon dioxide is filtered out and how oxygen is given us for life. The uh, intricacies of the DNA code. You know, now they're coming up and they're, they're finding there could be uh, more galaxies and more universes. It, it's, it's fascinating. All of this, all of this for this to happen had to be fine-tuned. If one thing is off, one small thing, all of this does not happen. If the sun is any closer or further away from the position in the sky relative to the earth, we're in big trouble. That's how fine-tuned this is. And when you look at uh, God's creatures, the animal kingdom itself, and how there's uh, symbiotic relationships and how everything works in an order, in a, in a natural way, it's amazing when you really look at this to see how these things work. And for me, again, a personal opinion is to believe that this all happened out of an accident in, in something blind. Uh, that, it's hard for me to kind of believe that. Um, I think it takes a lot of faith, actually, to believe in that type of uh, accidental theory that this is all uh, the universe being created and all the animals and how this all uh, is connected and works as a matter of an accident and by chance. That, that is a great leap of faith uh, that I think you have to have. But nonetheless, there's a lot of mystery in creation and a lot of things, again, um, when we look at this from a scientific aspect. Now, science is a great tool, and faith and science and reason, they go hand in hand. Um, there's a, a, a problem when we try to dissect and separate this, that one has to be right, one has to be wrong. They aid each other because there's a lot of things science aids in uh, moving toward a first cause, or God, especially now with uh, all the uh, discoveries they're coming up with in physics. And we must remember that science doesn't deal with the metaphysical. It doesn't deal with things like love and beauty and the things of the soul and the spirit. And it deals with matter in the material world and what can be proved by a uh, hypothesis and then trying to prove it. So that's what it deals with. And they, faith and science actually, if we're honest, complement each other. They shouldn't be at odds. And when the Pope uh, wrote the encyclical Laudato Si, he used a lot of scientists, a lot of um, sources. So this isn't just his opinion. A lot of this has scientific, uh, scientific facts. Um, it has a spirituality about it. It's theological. And one of the things that the encyclical, encyclical stresses, and this is important for us, is the connectiveness between human beings, God's creatures, and creation. Because we are all connected. And the encyclical, again, stresses that. Because it, it's um, something that has been lost. And as we move into technology and a technocratic society, 
we can see that the disconnect between the environment and human beings is growing wider and wider. You know, when the first, it's interesting to see how the Native Americans looked at their environment and the Great Spirit's creation and creatures and their place in his world. And they had an entirely different view than when the Europeans came. They looked at it as a gift, a gift from their creator that was to be cherished. And there was no disconnect between that Native American culture and the environment in which they lived. And they, in a way, were our first conservationists. And when the Europeans came, I mean, when you look at the terms that they used, even for the, the people at that time, savages and wilderness, and they were afraid. And they looked at the wilderness as something not to coexist, as the Native American culture did, but something that had to be overcome, something that had to be dominated. And over a period of years, and certainly with the Industrial Revolution, you and in what the mechanical world would bring us, and the technology of today, you have a disconnect. And you see the disconnect with uh, the youth today very, very uh, much so, as well as adults uh, with things like smartphones and the computers and all the, the things we have. Now, these things aren't bad in themselves. They're tools. But they are creating a disconnect and creating a world where, in an essence, you can be your own God. You can control what comes into that world and set yourself up with some type of false utopia. And one of the things, and that's something the Pope warns about, and certainly five years ago when he wrote this, it's not as rampant. And we live a very rapid life, the rapid, uh, rapid uh, speed, which not just Americans, but the whole world lives now. Always going on to the next thing, the next big bang, the next big product, the next big boom. Always wanting to be entertained and the next thing that will replace the thing we just bought. And the Pope warns, if we lose our connectedness to the environment and to God's creatures, and most importantly, each other, technology then can actually dictate and set the stage for an economy and worse, an ethic behavior. And it's a good awareness that this document brings up that we don't want to cross. For in all uh, accounts, when we look at our lives and we look at our society, I think most of us will admit that we don't really need as much as we have. Now, I'm speaking mostly in the United States, not certainly third world countries. But in this connectedness that Pope Francis talks about, you see, we are connected to those third world countries, and we are connected to uh, the poor. Because, again, God's command in the Garden of Eden was to till and keep. So it really does mean, as Pope Francis argues, that we are our brother's keeper. And one of the things that he stresses is that not only you and I being created in God's image reflect the personality of God, but also 
God's animals and his creatures, cre uh, creation, excuse me, because in each, they each have an identity that reflects God's personality. And that is important for us to remember. Now, when we look at that, it then begs the question, well, if that's true, which it is, then all of creation, as St. Paul talks about, is groaning in tribulation until that day that all of us, human beings, the animals, and creation itself are working its way toward its end, toward God. Now, you know from our talks on some of the shows on End Times, all this is going to be renewed. And it'll be a new heaven and a new home. And it'll be perfect. And there'll be joy. And it's what we long for. And all of creation, again, as St. Paul speaks of, is working its way toward God. And this connectedness is important for us because if we disconnect, if we disconnect from God's creation and think for a moment that science will bail us out of the next problem and we'll be able to solve these uh, riddles and we really don't have to worry too much about this connectedness. Then we're making a, a very, as Laudato C says, a drastic mistake. Because while technology, and it's a great tool, as I said just a moment ago, it, in the medical field and in uh, energy and some of the things, we live such a, in, in this country, such a comfortable lifestyle, it's incredible. But we've got to be very careful because of this disconnect, because it can cause us to be detached and not care about this common home we share, and in essence, then, we won't care about each other. And I think you're seeing this played out. Um, there are many problems that we have uh, in God's creation that we've done. Um, one of the things that Lodato says, uh, C says, is that uh, we've actually become a, a point where we've made the earth a garbage dump. And we see that we're not really killing and keeping and being good stewards of the environment and God's plan. But we are dominating these resources for our gratification. And we're not cultivating, and we're not protecting the earth. And, you know, the bottom line of that is it's not us who own it. It's God. And it's very difficult for us as Americans, and including us, we Catholics. Because one of the things I think that we do is in this country, um, we identify ourselves and our nation as rugged individuals who don't need or depend on other people for our survival. And then when you couple this today with the rapid advances in technology, we're fostering a culture that alienates us from God, each other, and his creation. You know, and it was John Donne who once said, no man is an island. 
And I think that's what the encyclical really emphasizes over and over, that God, people, and creation are intimately, intimately connected in an ongoing relationship. And I think for we here in the States, it's very difficult to turn from an I, mental, uh, I mentality to one of we. And there are many challenges here in the environment when we look at it. We see rising ocean temperatures. I don't know if you uh, saw the uh, statistics that NASA released, uh, I believe, two weeks ago, where we've had the hottest decade and since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, we've actually gone up 2.2% in the temperature of the Earth. Now, most of the scientists feel with the uh, looking at some of the things like emissions and some of the uh, carbon things they were trying to do to reduce uh, the carbon imprint to 2.5. And they, I guess after seeing these statistics, they're quite concerned we're not going to make that 2.5. And they said we'd be fortunate to get 2.7. And I guess this caused great, uh, great uh, consternation among the scientific community because they thought we could control this. And when we have a disconnect like we do with our environment and God's uh, creation now, as human beings we uh, pay for this. Uh, some of the things that they're worried about with ice caps melting, that certain pathogens and certain diseases uh, that are held in check may not be. And this is something I think that we, we don't think a lot about because this, the way I try to explain it simply is that if you look at the environment in God's creation, we're, we're all in this circle, and the circle is unbroken, actually. We're all connected in this circle. So when something goes wrong in A, then something's going to happen in C. And when we try to fix C, then rest assured that there may be a problem with F. And that's the danger of trusting in the technology because technology does solve problems. And the, the tough part is that for every one problem it solves, it may create 10 that will need to be addressed later. And then you have this vicious cycle. But when we lose this connectedness and don't see this circle we're all connected on. When we try to fix something, it means that something else on that circle, again, is going to be disturbed. And these natural cycles are broken. And most people, you know, well, well let me say most, but people sometimes in general, they don't, they don't look and see that whole connectedness, because it's easier just to kind of put our heads in the sand, say, you know what, I kind of, I've made it, you know, I've got kind of mine, it's a pretty good time to be alive, you know, I'm not really going to worry about what happens down the road, let, let other generations, and that's the kind of thinking that can get us into a lot of trouble, because, you know, when I talk about the environment of people, and when I was working, you know, people, well, you know what, it's a shame that, yeah, this, the Siberian tiger, there's only 4,000 left, but... You know, who really cares um, if, they, uh, if they become extinct? You know, it can always see on the Internet. There will always be maybe some zoos or something like that. But when you remove an apex predator from its 
ecosystem, then there are going to be ramifications that will be felt. And whether it's on the other side of the globe or here in the States, you will, you will feel that because, again, of the connectedness. You know, a good, um, a good way to look at this is that when you look at the nuclear incident they had in Japan with the meltdown, and that some of the material ended up in the West Coast. And while the jury's still out, and this is what I mean about tough about the science, it, it's very, you really got to do your homework, and it's very difficult. There was a problem out there that you shouldn't eat the salmon. And we've got a problem with the sardines. And there are starfish dying. And then we're finding bodies of seals. And all of a sudden, something that happened on the other side of the globe comes home right to the United States. Now, they know there was radioactive material on the West Coast. They know that. Again, the jury's still out on whether all these animals uh, were affected by it. But it, it, it does seem uh, coincidental that you have these problems. And again, this is for your discernment. It takes a lot of research to find, you know, middle-of-the-road research and not an agenda pushing one way or the other. That's a tough part when you're looking at all the environment and the climate and everything like that. But suffice it to say that there are problems that are caused that do come home to roost. And when I mentioned the, the ice caps and things and pathogens and diseases, you know, World War I was pretty bad. Millions of people killed. And carnage up until that time that people just couldn't fathom. And yet, shortly after, over a two-year period, the Spanish flu killed much, much, much more people than World War I ever did. People missed that. Yeah, little bacteria did more damage to the human race than that war did in four years. So these are the type of things... Um, you, you can see. Uh, another thing, you know, pesticide use has caused a lot of problems in our waterways. Uh, in my home state, it was determined that this was one of the reasons there was a die-off in the lobster. And now um, you may be aware that the honeybee, which is one of our major pollinators, uh, pesticides have damaged uh, the hives across the world. And again, there is a example of all of us here in the States, here in China. When you lose those pollinators, we're in big trouble because it affects what we eat. And that, uh, that's a circle and a cycle we don't want to go down. Matter of fact, China now is having people pollinate their fruit trees. But you see, that's a fix we're trying to do, but it's not the natural cycle. And it's not the way God arranged it. And so it won't be as perfect or as effective as God's plan. And that's where we need to see that connectedness. Because they all do, we all do fit together. And that's why we have to be concerned. That's why this is going to be uh, a time in as the generations come up we're going to have to realize that not only is it a, a government problem, um, 
that the governments of the world will have to work together on this, absolutely. But as Lodato C. points out, and it's a strong point, we can do a lot, you and I as individuals. We really can. Um, just a moment ago, I mentioned the pesticides. Well, in addition, do you know that abortifacients are being flushed down uh, people's toilets, among other things? And this has caused it, uh, these chemicals to get into the waterways. And it has been traced back now to what they call intersex fish, where uh, up, uh, in Maine, the state of Maine has lost 27% of their smallmouth bass and 25% of their largemouth. What that means is that the fish are developing both female and male characteristics, and they don't know what they are, and they're not spawning. And this has a huge ramification on the food chain in ponds and rivers. And again, we will pay for this. And that has been, you know, this is a big concern for uh, fish biologists uh, across the uh, globe because there's big concerns, not just with waterways here, like, say, in the States, but with the ocean and the warming temperatures and loss of biodiversity and the coral reefs. And it's just all connected, and it, it's, a, it, it's a huge problem that we do have to address as human beings. And while, you know, there's a lot of uh, rough stuff in Lodato Sea. I mean, I don't want to say, uh, use the word depressing, but actually, let's use the word sobering. There's a lot of sobering aspects of the encyclical, and we need, though, to be aware of them. We really do if we're going to meet the challenge. Uh, because this is going to have to be addressed whether we like it or not. And we're seeing, as I mentioned, the fires and I mentioned the volcanoes, you know, these hot temperatures, these, these tremendous storms, weather swings, you know, these all affect us. And the good thing is, despite all the problems we have, and, and here's the great thing about Ladado Sea, is that in the end, the encyclical is a message of hope. Because we can do things to change this and fix it. Now, Lozado C in that way is a dangerous encyclical because it challenges us in ways, especially in the Western world and the industrial world, the wealthier nations, because it's going to be an uncomfortable reshaping of thought and the way we live our lives. And that's tough. Many of us do not like change. And we live in a world right now here in the wealthier nation that is unbelievably uh, drenched in comfortability. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, and the Pope isn't. He is not uh, calling for a return to the Stone Age. But what in the encyclical he's calling for is that we take a moment and step back Look at our lives in regard to our creator and his creation and seek that connectedness that we are our brother's keeper, that what we do affects each other. You know, one of the shows we did uh, a while ago was on original sin and sin itself and how it's social and how one 
um, person's sin can affect a host of people. How true that is. How true that is. So when we get a, a negative connection like that through sin, there's also a positive connection and great things that can happen when we connect and do God's will. Not our way, but His will. And for us here, um, I mentioned that when the encyclical came out, there was a lot of uh, controversy. The Pope was called a socialist. It's just pie-in-the-sky thinking. This will never happen. It's not true science. It's a hoax, a joke. You know, uh, there's a booming economy, technology. It'll solve it. It'll provide the solutions we will need. So why care? And, you know, again, you have corporations and special interest groups and this presents a particular challenge because they're going to have to come on board also and and many are now and the key is that we've got to get away from the thinking that the bottom line is the bottom line because what Pope Francis argues in cyclical is that this bottom line still rules and when we exploit uh, creation. We're going to exploit each other. And right now, we live in here in the States in a consumerist society. And that has led us to become a throwaway society. And to bring again that thread of connectedness, when we look at this and we looking for that next exciting purchase, and we live in this type of throwaway society, it's not a far cry to look at the connectedness and see with the issue of abortion and children that are not wanted. And then we go to the other sacred spot in life, the elderly. And then when their usefulness is used up, well, maybe we can assist them in their demise. So, in essence, not only do we throw things out, we will throw each other out. And that's not good when human beings can be discarded so easily. You know, I mentioned um, some of the things in the ocean and the heating temperatures, and in the last 70 years, that temperature increase is the equivalent of 3 billion atomic bombs. That comes from the advances in atmospheric sciences. And that's pretty, that's pretty sobering. You know, um, and this is some of the things we've got to address. Uh, because in addition to corporations and businesses, you know, many lobbyist groups have their hand in our political atmosphere. So, Politicians then are driven by these special interest groups, and you have a country that then becomes divided, and there's no room for dialogue. And many of the policies that are enacted keep the people who have power in power. And unfortunately for us, and this is part of my generation, unlike Teddy Roosevelt and some of the generations before, and there's always been problems in politics, but... Back then, there used to be a longer-term thinking. It was long-term game, and they did look at what they were going to leave to future generations. 
My generation has seen to change all that where it's all short-term gain, short-term planning, and really we're not thinking about the future generation. And, you know, Pope Francis argues that that, that is actually uh, injustice. And he makes a strong case for that if we don't care about future generations. So that's got to be changed because we need, and Laudato C points this out, one of the strong points of the encyclical, if you haven't read it, and I certainly encourage you to do, is to read uh, those sections on dialogue. And that is a long way to go. And we can't stick our head in the sand. And as I mentioned, this encyclical is not all doom and gloom. It's a On the contrary, it's a message of hope. And that's its greatest strength. Because it stresses the spiritual nature, not only in we, but God's creation. And for Catholics now, this is the bottom line. Because the fact of the matter is, God said in Genesis chapter 1, that what he created was very, very good. Very good. And you know, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, it shows God how much, he shows to us, or should, how much God loves us and cares for not only us, but all his creation. And that, brothers and sisters, should give us great hope. Again, we mustn't forget the fact that everything in creation reflects God's personality. And you know, Luke talked about in the infancy narrative when the angel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary that nothing is impossible for God, how true that is. And that, what the, the encyclical states, is that means if we're willing to try and save our home, God will help us in our work. You know, what did he say in Second Chronicles, chapter 7? He has promised to hear our prayers and heal our land if we repent, humble ourselves, and turn toward him. There it is, right there, in Chronicles, a promise in Scripture from God himself. He has promised to hear our prayers if we repent and humble and heal our land if we do this. And this, this is the key, really, in my opinion, to the Laudato Si, to begin to see Jesus in each other, to see how creation and the human family are connected in an ecological circle that seeks the common good in politics, economics, and justice. Now, this time that we are living in, that you and I are living in right now, can seem very daunting. But we need to look at the opportunities that this opens up. One I just mentioned a moment ago, dialogue. And what that would include is not just perspectives of one culture or the powerful or the wealthy, but to take in the perspective of different cultures, especially those that need God's creation to survive. Some of the culture in the Amazon our own Native American culture here. 
some of the uh, Native American cultures in Canada, in Russia, those that live in the taiga. We need to look at all of that to have this dialogue and get their perspective because we can lead, learn a lot from each other. This way, especially here in the States, just looking at our Native American culture, that's one example in which we can learn a different approach to how creation is viewed. Now, practices that they had used for hundreds of years on the use of the natural resources could be incorporated with an emphasis, and this is the tough part for us, and for me too, for me too, I like this comfortability, you know? I remember, you know, when you had to walk up, we only had, what, three TV stations, remember? Uh, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and you had to walk to the, and what an inconvenience, oh my gosh, we got to walk to the TV to change the station, and you had the rabbit ears to try and get reception. How? Oh my gosh, you've got voice-controlled TV. <laughs> it's incredible, and I like some of this stuff. I like the comfortability. You know, this is a sidebar. I used to work, when I first started, when I was a kid, I worked with some older farmers in the department, and I asked them, because they were older and they had a lot of wisdom, and I asked one gentleman, I said, you know, what do you think is, a, at that time, what, what the greatest uh, invention we had? And he looked at me in all sincerity and said, you know what, indoor plumbing. He says, when I was a kid growing up in Maine, you wouldn't believe how rough it is to go out in a cold night in Maine and brush out an outhouse seat. And I, I thought he was being humorous, but he wasn't. And we've come a long way, and I like the comfortability like that. I'm sure you do too. But that's how a lot of people live for a long time, a long time. And I'm making this point because when we have and look at and get a different perspective on different cultures that live and respect natural resources a little different than we do, there's an emphasis there that we can begin a dialogue with the belief that less is more. That's going to be tough, though, because, again, we're used to that comfortability. But that dialogue can lead people like you and I, regular citizens, to become involved in politics and taking back power in transparency and decision-making. And there are a lot of good things when that happens. There's a lot of things on a global level. I'll give you a few examples that are being done before I get on to the individual things. You know, Ethiopia, they just had a tree planting day where... 350 million tree saplings were pointed with an eventual goal of eventually 4 billion. Now, that's a great start. Now, one thing in the encyclical that it does argue is that um, that's not, it, while it's not a natural type thing, because there is things like an understory and, and different uh, biodiversities that may still not um, be included in that when you plant trees that have been destroyed, it's still a start. It's a way to go. You know, just here in the state, uh, the states, President Trump just enacted that, where we're going to uh, plant millions of trees. It's an initiative, and it's going to be in addition with other countries. And that's a great start. That's a great start. So you see um, that nations are beginning to do things and limit some of the things that harm um, the air and water as well as... Uh, habitation control because you know here in the states and in, in, I mentioned predators early in the show one of the nice things that they're doing here is they're getting money and it's expensive 
is for what they call wildlife corridors, where these animals, like say a mountain lion, grizzly bear, they can go over um, the highways through an overpass that looks like the environment that they live in and underneath it. And therefore, they're not interbreeding with each other. And, cause, and that's, a gr that's a great problem in wildlife because they're not going to make it. But they breed with other um, species. Uh, they breed with other animals um, that are not part and related to them. And that's the way God intended it. So that, this is a big, big, big thing. And they're being done across the, the world. And they're seeing a comeback in the predators. And that's a, that's a great thing. So again, we, we are able to change this and do things. And that's exciting. Those are some of the opportunities here. I want to, uh, again, the encyclical is basically a message of hope. And we can go and have education systems that can incorporate real environmental programs in the curriculum that actually include venturing out and uh, actually teaching. I know this will be a tough goal, but teaching about the transcendent so we can create ecological ethics. And that will take the students out of the classroom, giving them a hands-on approach to fields like biology, forestry, agriculture, marine biology, waste management, you know, as well as other environmental fields. You know, maybe we can provide internships that will help shape future generations so they do care. Because remember, if you don't care about it, you know, you won't do anything to help it or save it. And maybe, you know, that education system can stress compassion and solidarity among people and creation. And I'll give you a, a great story. Uh, one young man, I believe he was a teenager in Australia, uh, founded something called uh, the group Ocean Cleanup. And this young kid invented a float system that strains plastic out of the rivers before they hit the Pacific Ocean. He's taken out tons and tons literally tons of garbage. And that's one kid, one young man that cared and decided to do something about it. You know, there's a young man here in the state out of his own expense and in his own community was disturbed with the problem of the garbage in San Francisco. And he went out and got volunteers, including the homeless, and got um, hazardous material suits. And they went in there and they cleaned sections up of San Francisco. In his words, he was tired of just hearing the problems and nobody doing anything. So he decided to do it. And again, they have removed tons and tons of garbage in Frisco. And I mentioned again a moment ago, the National Court and Wildlife Corridors. You know, one of the things that the Pope stresses, and, and this is going to be also tough, but it's doable is a different and more renewable system of energy. Now, we're seeing this in some of the European nations uh, with the windmills and some of the solar heat. It's being tried here in the States, and it'll take time. And, you know, again, this takes sacrifice on our part. It's going to call for us to come out of that comfortability zone and maybe be a little uncomfortable. You know, one of the things the Pope mentions for his reason, we call those cuts back on the air conditioning use. You know, kind of tough it out a little bit in the heat unless, again, you have a health problem or, you know, it becomes so unbearable. But to try, just to try to turn that AC down. Um, 
And it's a small thing, but it ends up in a big way when you have a lot of people uh, doing these things. And that's, again, another great opportunity will be for creativity, to, to have this developing uh, renewable and less polluting forms of energy. You know, and this is, a, this is just a personal opinion of mine, a belief, just personal, uh, not from Lovato C, but my own thinking. You know, this country put a man on the moon and found the Titanic two miles under the North Atlantic. And uh, it's kind of hard for, for me to believe that we couldn't, in our automobiles, get a carburetor or a fuel system that maybe would get 100 miles a gallon and maybe be cleaner in the air. I think we can do that. You know, again, I mentioned the special interest groups and the political field and the bottom line, and that's, um, you know, people in power, that's part of the stuff they've got to sacrifice um, because I think we could do that. Um, again, it's a difficult thing because of that, you know, the money. But it seems to me that we can do all these incredible uh, things with technology, and yet we can't really make a fuel-efficient system in our vehicle. And, you know, so be it may, again, the hardest part for this is going to be not only those in power to change, but you and I. You know, one of the things sometimes, again, I mentioned less is best. Maybe we go back to some of the old-time agriculture things, crop rotation, mechanical tillage, you know, weeding by hand. My wife's uh, sister and brother have a farm in Tennessee, and they do the organic. And I mean, it's really organic. They use no pesticide, no spray, but they're out there, and they're not spring chickens anymore. They're out there, and they're taking those bugs, and they're weeding, and they're getting rid of the, blat, the bug-infested stuff by hand. What a job that is. But they're doing it. And you know what? Their product is in demand, and they're doing it. You know, in France, they tried an experiment where they had a 1,000 farms of all types, and they did not use pesticides, and then they were compared to those that did. And the results came in that 94%, 94% of the farms without pesticide use lost no production, and two-fifths of these produced more. Wow. You know, and again, here... In our country, maybe subsidies could be paid out not only to uh, corporate farms, but small farmers as well to encourage food production, not hold it back, but to encourage it. And then price it and make it more affordable to the poor. You know, maybe we need to go back to the old days of not so much quantity, and I know that's tough because, again, you know, it's a consumeristic society, but quality. And I think, personally, that would take us a long way. You know, <clears throat> again, in these global things, you had Earth Summit, the Vienna uh, Convention, Conference United Nations and Sustainable Development, a lot of things, Kyoto Protocol. I know President Trump gets a lot of heat for pulling out. But again, if you look at this on that circle, that environmental circle, this connectedness, we all have to be on board for this. You, you can't just have, say, the states and say Paris, France, come on board and try to work with renewable energy, sustainable things, and then have other nations, maybe China, whatever, not picking on anyone, say, no, we're not going to do that. It's got to be all. We've all got to be on board here. It's got to be community because we are connected, and that includes those four nations. 
you know, one of the things I mentioned on the show is that Pope Francis talked about injustice, about the, the leaving nothing for the future generation. It's the same thing with the poor. You know, when we talk about comfortability here in the States, I think a lot of times that disconnect, we don't realize how third world countries are impacted in the way they live off the land and need God's creation for their very survival and how our comfortability would change that. And that's something we have to look at personally and as a community. And again, you know, maybe we can do something more eco-friendly in affordable homes uh, rather than the cluster housing and things like that with the food and the failure. And, you know, they're really not aesthetic. We need to get back to that beauty of creation that God created. There's a lot of beauty. Um, so these are some of the opportunities on a, a global scale. You know, there's a lot of things, uh, groups such as WILD, Reserve Protection Agency, and International Anti-Poaching Foundation, they're working with governments to fund, provide sanctuaries, and enact laws and invoke stiff penalties and longer prison sentences for those people that, you know, are poaching. Because, again, you know, it affects us. And it's tough because, you know, there's a demand, cultural beliefs, and big money are paid to the poor. And it's a tough, it's tough to fight against that. But, again, opportunities uh, abound here. And Laudato speaks of a great solidarity and an input for, that's inclusive to our entire human family. You know, now, again, mention a moment again that the governments and the community at large have to be on board, but again, it doesn't let the individual, Laudato see doesn't let the individual off the hook. Little things that we can do, like that movie Pay It Forward, can affect through our goodness that benefits society. But again, the tough part's going to be, it's going to be in, for us here in the States, in, uh, ecological conversion. And that does mean sacrifice and giving up some comfortability. But it will be well worth it. You know, little things like separating the waste, the recycling, reducing our water con consumption. You know, here's a big one. Cooking, to me, just what we will eat and not throwing out. You know, it, it's tough when we throw stuff out and there are people starving. You know, one of the big things I'm, I'm big on is turning off lights when we don't need them. And I know in our own world, our cars become almost like a little sanctuary at home. We listen to the news or the music or, you know, the audio books, whatever. But, you know, it, it may be at a time in this state, in the states for future generations, uh, if we're going to help our common home here to the earth, to look at mass transit. You know, and I think we would get used to that, you know. But, um, you know, things like that, using the Internet and technology, maybe cut down on paper use and save our trees. You know, one of the things I like to do in my particular home state is good at, um, although we lost some funding this year, is to tell our representatives to set aside funding for land acquisition, to buy land that won't be developed so that future generations will be able to enjoy and that, that's a nice thing for us to do. That, you know, and we can encourage that. Um, I mentioned about pesticide use, and that is a big thing for us to do. Pesticide uh, use is causing a lot of problems, not just health risks to human beings and animals, but with the waterways, as I mentioned, which in turn comes back to haunt us, but a host of other problems. And... <clears throat> We can really eliminate this. Now, if you're fortunate to 
live on waterfront property. You know, when I was a young man and I was fishing, you didn't see green lawn where people owned waterfront property. It was either just the dirt or wood chips. And you didn't see the problems that you had in the ponds. But now everybody has a green lawn. And, you know, maybe it's time to re even revisit what we do here in the cities or wherever we have our homes and our lawns. Maybe we don't need the greenest lawns in the neighborhood. Or, you know, and, and get away from that pesticide use. You know, another thing we could do is, as uh, homeowners that have a, a big impact, besides eliminating pesticides, which would have a major impact, is to plant um, plants that are pollinator uh, attractors for bees and butterflies and things like that. I think that would be, uh, you know, that's a nice hobby, and it goes a long way to helping the environment, and it's something that we could get a lot of, uh, a lot of fringe benefits. I mean, you know, to see uh, the bees hovering around there and beautiful butterflies, hummingbirds, you know, I mean, we get, um, we get a lot of benefit out of that. If we take the time to look at the wonder that God has given us in this beautiful creation. Because again, while science plays an important role, it really doesn't deal with that beautiful spiritual aspect of creation that God has given us. Which one of us um, hasn't been moved by something, a beautiful sunset, or double rainbows, or the night sky, or the power of storms, where we realize just, you know, how really small we are, and should, in, in all humility, let us realize, my gosh, there is a connection here. And, you know, I think some of us have had that. You know, one of the things that I'm excited about, and this, this won't go over so well for some scientists, but there's a new science that's coming up, which I, I think is pretty exciting, and it's that animals now actually do have emotion, and I think a lot of people um, would realize this, and that they do have uh, in some, I don't want to call it language, but they can communicate with each other. And I think that's so cool. So this new science that's coming out is trying to say, you know, maybe we need to revisit this and look at these animals as, you know, having, they do play. They do feel sadness. They do have emotion. There is communication between them. And certainly, as I've mentioned in the show, they do reflect God's personality. And I think, especially for future generations, that's going to be an exciting field. So now they're getting away from, well, don't name it. You know, we don't want to name the animal. You can't get like that. But actually now they're encouraging it, this science. So, again, a lot of challenges, but a lot of opportunities. And I just, you know, want to end the show, that I hope the show today inspires you to look a little bit um, more closely at what God has given us in our animals, in the beauty of creation, and certainly to see Jesus in each other, as each human being is another Jesus. And just to like a little bit aware, and maybe in, in your way, to help our common home, the earth, and do the things that you can do to help um, take care of our common home. 
And again, while I mentioned and I'll close with this, that Laudato C was definitely a sobering encyclical, especially five years ago when we fast forward to 2020, there is hope. There is hope. Because as Jesus told his followers, his disciples, with God, nothing is impossible. And he has promised us in Chronicles that he will heal this land if we repent and humble ourselves and are willing to work with him. And indeed, nothing is impossible with him at our side. Good night, and God bless. Hi, everyone. Dr. John Aquaviva here, author, professor of exercise science, and host of Faith in Sport on WCAT Radio. Please join us as we discuss current events in the sports world, bring on inspiring guests, and discuss how our Catholic faith impacts all who are involved in sport, the athletes, the coaches, the referees, and yes, even the fans. So join me, Dr. John Aquaviva, as I discuss my two favorite topics, my faith and the world of sport, on the Faith in Sports show here on WCAT Radio. We hope you enjoyed the program and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.